that the mind part of us and the strength part of us, as important as it is as men to have those parts, um, it's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. We that is not a holistic approach to life. That is a not a holistic approach to manhood. We've got this heart part of us and this soul part of us that is just as critical and tends to be dismissed or deprioritized, especially when it comes to, um, you know, our formation practices or, or building a business or our own personal growth and development. We tend to focus a lot on this and a lot on this. Welcome to Authentic Conversations. I'm your host, Ryan James Miller, and I believe the way to freedom, fulfillment, and success ultimately comes by living as the most authentic version of yourself. If you're ready to live the life you've dreamed of, you're in the right place. All right, what up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Authentic Conversations. We are so deep into season two. I don't even know when season two is going to end, but it has been an incredible season of discussion around manhood and masculinity. And today, uh, I just feel like it's going to be extra special because of the conversation that my guest Jake and I had offline leading up to this, some commonality and a bit of our story at times. But then even the fact that he is so deep, I'm saying this, even though we just talked about this offline, he's getting ready to defend his doctoral dissertation. And I'm so pumped for him. We're probably going to talk a little bit about that today. And so he just has not only a deep heart for what he's doing, but a lot of knowledge, expertise, and intelligence behind it. And so I, I think that you really need that to speak well into that. Uh, so we just we were introduced uh, through uh, mutual connections online, which is how so many of my conversations end up happening. Uh, and so I'm pumped to have Jake Smith with me today. Uh, Jake is a, now a coach. Uh, and he works with a lot of men. He has a program that really helps walk them through a lot of their spiritual and self-formation. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, he spent many, many years as a pastor and church planter. I would say maybe recovering from that area just because of my own experience. <laughs> but I'm pumped to have him. He's a husband. He's a father. Those things are extremely important to me. And I know his daughter is a huge part of his story as well. So with that, Jake, dude, thanks for being here. I'm so pumped to have you. Ryan, what an honor. Thanks for having me on. It's going to be good. All right. So the loaded question that we just kick things off with, you know, is coming. Everybody knows it's coming for you. You've spent so many years uh, discipling men, working with men, coaching men. Now here you are uh, um, about to get your doctorate. I'm just saying it. You're you're going to you're going to have those letters as a result of your investment into uh just into manhood and so to you what does manhood and masculinity mean yeah so for me i was a pastor for 21 years ryan before i started doing what i'm doing now the coaching and the the counseling and all of that and for me i got to go to the scriptures for that and specifically i got to go to straight to jesus himself okay um that's me and he was actually asked three different times, uh, or at least there's these three recorded moments in the New Testament, when he's asked, what is the most important thing in life? What's the greatest commandment? And in his response, all three times, he affirms this ancient spiritual framework called the Shema. Okay. Now, all the Shema is, he said, here's the most important thing. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing more important than this. Uh, or in Matthew 22, he says, all the law and all the commandments hang on that. Mm. Like this is what it's all about. This is the essence of life. So for me, I've pulled from that what I now call our spiritual anatomy as men. And like the physical body has systems. We got circulatory system and a respiratory system and so on. The spiritual anatomy has systems too. We've got a heart system. We've got a soul system. We've got a mind system and we have a strength system. And for me, what manhood looks like when it's, when it's uh, playing out the way it should, when we've initiated ourselves or been initiated, I should say, the way that we should be, when we have been brought to this place of maturity, it must involve all four of these systems being uniquely attached, nourished, and integrated so that I can draw the energy, uh, you know, to face whatever life drops in front of me, to relate with this person, to solve that problem, to overcome that challenge, to tough this thing out. I need access to all four of these attached and nourished systems if I'm going to be able to show up as a holistic, empowered, uh, initiated man in the world to make my mark. The problem with that, though, Ryan, is, and then I'll pause and let you break in here because I can talk all day about this stuff. Most men are living dominantly from only one or two of those systems. Mm. And the others remain in some lesser state of development or they're malnourished or in worst case scenarios, they're detached completely. And when this happens, we end up with these men in 30, 35, 40 plus year old bodies but inside they're 12 Mm. or they're 13 or they're nine and they got stuck back there in life. And um, this is when guys like Parker Palmer, Henry Nowen, or Carl Jung, they call it the fragmented life. We're living Mm. as these fragmented underdeveloped versions of ourselves. And that's when harm gets done. Yeah, man, it's so good. Okay, so uh, simplistically for those that maybe just got caught up in just like, whoa, that was that was a lot already. So the, these four areas of head, heart, physical strength, and soul um, is what uh, Jake was alluding to there. Okay, so the last thing you said stands out to me so much as you were breaking that all down. The definition is wonderful and beautiful, and I think that it's so important. But I think that... Um, while I don't love going here, I think that we immediately attach to the problem, right? Like there's a problem. We need to figure out what the solution is. I wish we could just say, as you did, and, and I deeply believe as well, if we as men would put our faith in Christ and we would continue to stick our nose in the word of God, understand and then believe in what he says and, and go live that, we would have no problems. Like that, that would be the ultimate solution, I guess. But you said that there is this breakdown that we're seeing, this fragmented life. And, and, and we see it all the time. I mean, there are just idiots running around at 55 years old that are being outmatured by 12-year-olds. And so where do you, in all your experience, see those breakdowns beginning to happen? Or, or what is the nature of that fragmentation that leads men in their 30s, 40s, and even 50s to be living as adult children? 
Yeah, you're exactly right, Ryan. I mean, the philosophy tends to be if we just grow our knowledge and our understanding of things, of, of subject matters, and, and we, we are constantly increasing this and we're investing in this, right? How do I take this knowledge and go apply it, go work it out, go live it out? That is somehow going to create an abundant life. That is somehow uh, going to lead me to the life that, I, that I'm after. Um, and if that were true, then the smartest, most driven people would be the best people. Mm. And you already know that's not true. And so do I. Incredibly intelligent, highly successful people flame out all the time. Men who are much smarter than me and more disciplined than me and more driven than me, mind and strength, flame out all the time. We read these news articles every day. And so that in and of itself demonstrates that the mind part of us and the strength part of us, as important as it is as men to have those parts, um, it's not enough. Yeah, It's not enough. We That is not a holistic approach to life. That is a not a holistic approach to manhood. We've got this heart part of us and this soul part of us that is just as critical and tends to be dismissed or deprioritized, yeah. especially when it comes to um, you know, our formation practices or, or building a business or our own personal growth and development. We tend to focus a lot on this and a lot on this, but we dismiss the stuff that's underneath the surface of the skin yeah. and we do it to our detriment. Yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, again, I, I would love to throw all my opinions out here, but everybody's heard enough of those. I mean, why, why do you both believe and then practically see, because you've seen it through experience, why are those two areas, heart and soul, so underserved and undernourished with men today? Yeah, well, it's certainly a cultural thing. I mean, okay. when we talk about, let me give a quick definition for these systems, because that's going to allow me to speak to that a little, a little yeah. easier, make sure we're on the same page there. So the strength part of us is all about independence and mastery. Okay. Right. It's my ability to self-affirm. It's my ability to understand something about my natural talents and abilities. It's about uh, my learning agility, my ability to tough something out, to take a hill, to execute, uh, to grow my skills, even to the point where they're monetizable. Right. This is all strength stuff. OK. Mind is actually about responsibility and reason. Mm. So it's my my ability to be reason able. Right. Uh, and it's my uh, willingness to be responsible for people and things underneath my care. So if you've ever worked for somebody who doesn't have a well-developed mind part, they don't have reasonable expectations for themselves, for their company, for their employees. And they certainly don't acknowledge the limitations that they yeah. have or that their employees have. And so they'll drive them to work longer and harder and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so there's tons of development and stuff out there for, for these but we tend to undervalue the heart and soul part of us, the heart part of us being what's necessary for deep relationships. And it involves our feelings, our wants, and our needs. And the soul part of us being that visionary um, part of us that, that has the ability to dream about the future, but also where our personal core identity lives and our mm -hmm. calling and our purpose flowing out of that. Okay. Now, an example of how these are so undervalued in our culture. You take the heart part of us, for example, and we look at something like feelings. By the way, I'm not pointing the finger outside of me. I did this for years. Like I minimized this in myself. I repressed it 
in terms of other people and what I cared about with it. Like, because why? Well, somebody who has their heart, it tends to be inefficient. It tends to be, um, you know, subjective. It's like, come on, like, yeah. Leave your heart at home, bring your mind and strength to work and let's GSD, you know? And so something like feelings, okay? If you're normal, if you grew up in a normal home here in the good old US of A and you were having big feelings about something, um, you were probably sent to your room Mm. and not allowed to come out until what? Like, when can you come out? Yeah, when you're done crying about it. That's right. When you're when you're no longer having feelings. Yeah. Like get the cultural formative messages from boyhood that are pushed into us from the time we were young. If you're having big feelings, you go to your room and you talk yourself off the ledge or you get yourself together and you're not what's going to qualify you to rejoin the relationship. Mm. What's going to qualify you to rejoin the family? You can't be having feelings anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we've been taught from the time we're young to dismiss these critical parts of us. Yeah. I mean, that's it's it it is. It's so apparent uh, that that we've grown up like that. Like for me, it was a little bit different, but only because I was raised by an extremely emotional single mom. uh, Primarily, that's who I spent. 90% 90% of my time with every other weekend with my dad. My dad was extremely strict and I didn't really see any emotion other than the strictness, the anger. I mean, he was fun at times, but never really the emotion that I remember, you know, like the crying and things like that. So for me, it was, I saw what I didn't want in my dad necessarily because it was so harsh, so strict, but then I, I I was expressive and I had feelings, but I didn't know what to do with them. I, you yeah. know, I, I didn't, I didn't understand how a man was to grow up and properly express them. So at times that turned into, and we see this in a lot of research that turned into anger and rage, or that turned into seclusion and solitude. You know, I just, I didn't understand how to process those things. And, and I really never did until I was in my early twenties and married and we were having marriage issues. We came to faith and I started to understand what, what, why God had put the feelings in me that he did. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's so huge. That's right. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes people confuse emotionalism with feelings, with Mm. feelings work, like good, healthy heart work, feelings work. Okay. And they are not the same thing. Um, Emotionalism is when my feelings have me. Okay. But mature manhood looks like my willingness to have my feelings. Mm. And that is a very different thing. So here's what I'll say about the heart part of us when it comes to manhood. If you are a mature man who has an initiated heart and you have done the heart work and you've learned to live life with this thing that God gave us as a critical part of our makeup. Okay. One of the things that emerges out of that mature heart is understanding the heart never gets to drive. Like the the heart should never be driving the wheel of my life. That would be like giving 
the wheel of the SUV to a seven-year-old <laughs> to now go 80 miles an hour down the highway. And that is chaotic and that is irresponsible. Like the heart does not get to drive. The heart needs to be guided and led by me. It needs to be parented and yeah. nurtured by me, yeah. right? And uh, so it's not a it's not a pilot, but it is a valued passenger and navigator that sometimes needs to call out from the back and say, I got to pee. And there are times with me driving as a man, the SUV of my life, I have to say to my little heart back there, you just peed. And we're not <laughs> stopping for an hour. Yeah. Hold it, you know, or it might say, I'm hungry. Can we stop to eat? And I said, I told, told you to eat before we left the house. We'll eat. There's a city two hours up ahead. We'll eat lunch there. But there are other times where my little heart's talking and me being aware of it. I need to go, yeah, we can stop up here. We can, we can help you get what you want and need. And me learning to parent and guide my own heart uh, is a critical part of mature manhood. Well, and I think now, I, I think to that example, I mean, and what you're alluding to is that while we should never allow our emotions exclusively to drive anything, because again, we know how quickly those can get out of control. I think that you're also saying that we should never let any one of those four areas exclusively guide us or lead us that they need to be integrated in in one degree or another because if not if i'm just using logic right if 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 it's only logic um you know i i may yeah. not incorporate some of the feeling and emotion that goes into decision making that's necessary to make something that may lead me ultimately down the right path but logically it didn't seem like that yeah True, true manhood has access to all four of these systems and knows what they need from each one of them to show up again to whatever life puts in front of them. Before I started doing this work, I, have you ever heard the phrase like you brought a knife to a gunfight? <laughs> <laughs> well, within my marriage, I would bring a mind to a heart conversation. Mm. And it's equally as detrimental as bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's like if my wife is coming at me with heart, and my response is mind, what a disconnect that is. What a lonely experience that is. And it can actually be harmful to my relationship. And so as a man, if I don't have my heart to show up with to her, I, I'm dead from the start to begin with. That's why we have to learn to attach and nourish and have access to this thing called a heart inside of us, right. right? If I don't have access to it, I don't have it to give her in the first place. But even once I do, I have it, it's connected, it's nourished. I have to learn to discern. She's, this is a heart conversation, right? Mm -hmm. She's not asking me to solve a problem here. She's not asking me to fix her. She's not asking me to step into my strength and go do something for her. She just needs me to hold space. She just needs me to be willing to see into her. She needs me to be willing to reciprocate and say, into me see, which is how we write intimacy and mm -hmm. the work that I do with hyphens, into hyphen me hyphen see. That's that great. is a heart experience. Okay, before we go any farther, because you're sharing a lot of wisdom and experience and expertise. So when did this change for you? Because I'm going to make a huge assumption and say, and I have read a little bit of your bio and your backstory, but uh, that you didn't always have all of this figured out. And uh, so... Oh, man. 
when and how did this begin to change for you and open your eyes, your heart, your mind uh, to the fact that God had more for you as a man, uh, and and then therefore you would impact your family yeah. and ultimately all, all these other men in the process? Yeah. Well, first I'll say you're real kind calling me an expert in all of that, but <laughs> the truth of the matter is I'm, I'm not. Like I'm not. I'm not Gandalf on this voyage. Like I'm. Samwise Gamgee or something. <laughs> I'm just part of the club. We're just like we're going on this journey together. We're on the pilgrimage, and I'm I'm still very much on this journey. And it's been fairly recent that I've even begun uh, to tap into some of this work. The past, you know, seven or eight years or so, less than a decade. Mm. So um, for me, I think uh, you alluded to this at the start, but I'm a father. I've got uh, three children, and uh, I don't know about six years ago, I was putting my little girl uh, to bed six or seven years ago. She was four years old at the time. And uh, in my mind, I knew what a good dad was. Like I had a good philosophy and um, framework for fathering. Father is there. A father coaches his son's soccer team. A father um, helps his oldest son with his math homework. And a father puts his little girl to bed Every night, reads her a story, lies with her till she falls asleep. Like, this is my mental framework. And in my strength part of me, I actually had the ability to pull that off. Like, no matter how much I had going on, I could figure out how to coach the soccer team. No matter how tired I was at the end of a long day, I could find it within myself to help my son with his homework. And I could put that little girl on my shoulders and I could walk her up those stairs and I could read her that story and turn off the light and lay with her till she goes to sleep every night. So this particular night, I was doing that, like executing this philosophy of fatherhood that I had with my strength and discipline. And lying there in the darkness after the story, her little voice emerged. And she said, hey, dad, uh, if I could line up all the dads in the world. And I was thinking, this, this is my moment. Like, it, it's, it's all come to this. You know, it's going to be great. And it wasn't great. She said, um, if I could line up all the dads in the world and I could pick a nice dad or you, I'd still pick you. Mm. And um, I said, oh, honey, is is daddy not very nice? And she said, not really, but I'd still pick you. Mm. And I walked out of a room that night going, if anybody should be just crushing fathering <laughs> and marriage and life, it should be me. Like I grew up in the church. I was a pastor for 21 years. I've got degrees in theology and very spiritually disciplined and pouring tons of effort and learning into like, how do I not have, you know, the skill sets and the abilities and how do my kids not have the experiences with me of a dearly loving and highly engaged father. And I didn't. Mm. So I had to go face that. Like something was, I was missing something. I didn't even know what it was, mm. but I had to go figure it out. And <clears throat> so that took a lot of humility 
Uh, it, it took a lot of willingness. Obviously, I'm sure you know it, it was bumpy because none of us ever want to be told that we're not doing things right. Uh, as much as we want to say that we want positive, um, you know, constructive criticism, uh, we don't. Especially from our kids, you wanted to be that hero in that lineup of dads. Um, how how did you? What why did you make the decision to make change? If you could have justified yeah. everything that you were doing to that point, like you were a good dad. I'm sure you were a good dad. She wouldn't have said that she chose you if you weren't. You were showing up, you were coaching, you know, all of that was happening. So if you're doing all of that and yeah, you're not the best, but like, why change? Well, first of all, um, I I don't think anybody in my life in that moment would have described me as a humble person. Um, <laughs> my little, my little girl just happened to be probably the only person in my life that could have given me that kind of feedback without me becoming defensive or dismissive. Like that's your opinion or something, you know, but I could not resist the sentiments of my own little girl. Like she was the one that had her foot in the door and had it cracked. And when she told me, uh, you know, that I wasn't kind with her, tender with her, mm. um, valuing her the way that I wanted to, but it just wasn't working out in the way that I was being her dad. Uh, I wasn't okay, man. Like that was the crack in the dam for me. That's like, and uh, literally she was probably the only one, the, the only prophet that could have given me this view to my blind spot. Like, um, so it just happened to be that it was her and that she had enough courage to give me the gift of telling me what it was like to be with me. And in my framework, when we look at this feelings framework, I use a framework from Dr. Chip Dodd, uh, his eight core feelings framework. And one of the feelings, uh, in these eight core feelings is anger and anger is the only feeling that makes us do anything. It's the action feeling. Not, none of the other feelings actually drive action. Only anger does. And I had so much anger to be able to be the kind of dad to my daughter that wasn't just checking certain boxes in my philosophy of fathering, but that was actually going to allow her to experience me and allow us to have a relationship that was substantive and connected and meaningful uh, and, and supportive. And she was pretty clear that that wasn't true for us. And I had enough anger to go, well, I'm going to go figure that out. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what it takes. Mm. Wow. And so what's that path to change been like for you? Yeah. Well, it's been hell on earth. Um, How long ago I, was that? You know, I was that conversation was about seven years ago. She's eleven now. She was about four at the time. Okay. Um, it so so first of all, the powerlessness I felt was like I'm a pretty smart guy and I'm a pretty driven guy, and that hasn't achieved with her. You know what I'm hoping to achieve. So if I can't go learn it and grind it out and, and achieve it, where does that leave me? Because I've lived my whole life like that. Mm. Like, where does that leave me? And I was fortunate enough 
or or perhaps you know God is gracious enough that he 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 just led two older men into my life um who took me on a pretty painful journey that wasn't looking for something outside of myself that I needed to go find and and discover they led me on a journey deep inside to recover parts of me that just kind of got lost or went missing along the way by the way when that happens for us for men like just parts of us kind of get lost or go missing along the way um there's usually a reason for that, a very good reason. And kind of thank God we actually detach from that part or bury that part or lock it away for a while so that we can keep it safe and we're not damaged beyond a point of no return or something. But at some point, we have to be willing to go on a an internal voyage to recover those parts and get them reconnected and nourished mm-hmm. and caught up yeah. so that we can have the kind of relationships that we long for with the people who matter most so that we can discover the clarity of purpose and calling that God has placed on our life, right? Um, so that we can be the men that that we actually long to be. And that was the journey that these men led me on. In my case, it was a voyage to reconnect my heart primarily, mm-hmm. and also to start to nourish that soul part of me a little bit more to help it kind of catch up to the mind and strength aspects of me. So that's, that's so what, good, man. That's what it looked like in, in general. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I that's so good. So I'm, I'm in the process of uh, writing a memoir and um, tentatively titled uh, "Using Our Wounds as Weapons," and through this process, through my own journey and own process, you know, it's it, it's very much what you're talking about. You know, so many of us have been men, particularly, but women too, have been conditioned to move past. Like as soon as we can get over the wound, as soon as we can move past it, just get on and run like hell in the other direction. And I feel like, and I'm sure you would agree to the belief that every single thing we've experienced in life was intentional in, in, in God's holistic plan for our life to shape us and mold us into the people that he's making us to be and ultimately to accomplish the things that we are going to accomplish. And so without actually using those or wounds, understanding them, healing from them, growing through them, we're never going to fully be the men that God has created us to be. It's just literally impossible to even do that. Ryan, I I love that you're tapping into that saying that because it might be the most important thing on anyone's journey or path to mature manhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we talk about healing from our wounds, I actually believe we're talking about um, that heart part of us. Like we've got to be willing to heal. And obviously when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about this muscle in our chest that's pumping blood through our body. We're actually talking about this part of the brain right back here, uh, the limbic brain. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of things about this part of the brain. One is It doesn't have language, which is why when we're having feelings and we're trying to talk about our wounding life experiences and all that, it's really hard to find the words, right? Or I I got so frustrated or I got triggered with your facial expression or your tone of voice or what you did or said or what happened there when he cut me off in traffic or whatever it is. And it's like, what the heck am I like? It's hard to find the words to explain why that was such a big deal to us or what's going on. It's because there's no language back here, right? Yeah. But the other thing is there's no time. Like the heart, this part of the brain does not acknowledge time, which is why something that happened to me when I was nine, a wounding experience when I was nine or six or 12, might as well have happened yesterday. 
And it will inform the way that I respond to this conflict or this relational tension. It will um, inform um, the way that I react when somebody cuts in front of me at the grocery store, (laughs) whatever it is, because my brain is going to is going to tell me a story about what's actually happening here. Um, and my response or my behavior or my reactions, whether in a marriage or with a stranger at the grocery store, are going to flow out of that. Yeah. So I've got to actively work to heal from these wounds so that the wounds stop running my life as an yep. operating system. And that is what good heart work is all about. Yeah, which which goes back to what you said earlier, like, you know, as a man, because they don't know how to deal with those emotions, they've never been taught how to deal with them, even to talk about right. them, that that area at all, like they they just yeah. they get stuck in this loop and this cycle. And so they will never fully flourish and grow. It's just completely impossible for them to do that. No, that's exactly right. You know, I've I've had a lot of fun leading uh, heart groups where we're talking feelings and all that kind of stuff. I've done it with Green Berets. Uh, I've done it with NFL defensive linemen, like just all walks of life, you know, CEOs of billion dollar companies, you know, and some of them kind of come in and they they just have a go at me a little bit. Like, what do you do in those heart groups, man? Like, what do you do in those? Like, you sit around, talk about your feelings, eat quiche and drink chai lattes or something. Like, what do you do? You know, and, <laughs> And I just look back at all of them and I say, man, you do not have the guts to come sit in a group with me. Like you think it's for the week. You think it's some feminine thing. Like, trust me, you do not have enough courage. It is less scary to go repel Australian style out of a helicopter than to come sit in a circle with me, pal. So when you think you're ready for what I got. You come call me. And they eventually do. Like a lot of them like pony up. They're like, well, I'll, I'll sit in one of your group, you know, and they come sit in a group. And I, I'm just telling you what it means to have your heart and to have feelings is I can grow my capacity to hold the tension of the feelings that are true inside of me. I don't have to express them. I don't have to like go freak out on somebody or break into a sobbing mess, whatever, but I'm willing to be able to have and hold the tension of my feelings. And I'm willing for you to have yours. I don't need you to not have feelings. I don't need you to, I don't have to fix you or get you to buck up or reassure you with cliches or whatever it is, tell you to tough something out. Like I can handle it. I can handle you having feelings and I can handle me. And that's so, that was a huge shift, Ryan, because I spent most of my life, not more committed than making sure I wasn't going to have feelings. So what do I got to do? to not have feelings. Yeah. What do I got to achieve? How hard do I have to work? What do I need to drink? How do I need to be optimistic? Like, what do I need to do to not have feelings? And the only thing I was equally committed to is how do I make sure you're not having them either? Because if you have them, I'm going to have to have them. Right. And I don't want right. to have them. And this is why I rage at my kids. Like I come in after a long day and they're coming up and they, Hey daddy, Hey dad, like whatever. And I'm like, I get irritable and dismissive. Give me a second. I just walked in. No, I don't want to, you know, what's happening? Well, I'm having feelings because of the way that they're interacting with me. And I don't have, I'm not strong enough to have feelings. I'm not strong enough to hold capacity for feelings when they're rising and the charge on them is getting bigger. I don't, I don't, I don't have the strength, the heart strength to have feelings with my wife. And so I argue with her and, and become defensive and can't be confronted and, um, need more affirmation than is hers. I need her to overcompensate in the relationship or I need her to just leave me alone. And no, I don't want to talk deep. Like why? Cause I don't have the capacity to, 
And this is what we're working to do when we're working to get our heart back. We can, we can actually grow that muscle. I love this idea that you're not man enough to deal with or express your feelings. I mean, it's just, it's just so cliche at face value. And yet it is just so damn true. Okay. So something interesting. So I, 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 I don't talk a lot about what people do necessarily in these conversations because I really want to just help people more understand like how they're dealing with all these things. But you, you so directly uh, work in this area. But I have a I have a question for you. Uh, so you get a lot of men that uh, engage with you through your coaching programs, uh, through group settings. How many times do you get a guy that comes to you that wants? everything you have to offer because they want the outcomes that uh, you you're sharing with them are possible. I don't want to say promise, but sharing with them are possible, but don't want the faith component. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty clear up front that I was a pastor for 21 years, that I'm a Christ follower, that everything I do is biblically based. Um, Having said that, I still do get some in maybe 10% uh, in um, 15% in, depending on the season that we're in, who say, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christ follower. I have some other faith background. I've had atheists uh, go through the process. And regardless of a person's belief system, um, if what I believe is true, that the scriptures are true, that what Jesus is teaching us is true, whether they believe in this system or not, whether they believe in Jesus and how he designed them to have everything they need to go about their life or not, it's still part of their makeup. I mean, there's still a human being with a physical anatomy and a spiritual anatomy, which means that all of this still applies. And what's unique, like the groups that I lead and the stuff that I do, and I'm glad you're asking this, not so that people will come work with me, but so that you out there listening can begin to maybe experiment a little bit with what would it be like to let what I'm about to say guide your conversations or the groups that you lead or the coaching that you do. Um, but rather than disseminating knowledge and constantly telling people what to do and giving them advice and, you know, all that kind of stuff, learning to hold space and let people be where they are and trust if you're a Christ follower, that the Holy Spirit can do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Um, you know, this is, um, this is everything when it comes to healing and transformation. So if somebody comes into a group, for example, and they say, I just don't believe in a God who sees me or loves me or who cares about me, who has good things for me, you know, rather than jumping in and teaching them about who God is and what the scripture says and reassuring them. I just end up saying, what's it like? What's it like to go through life with the belief in a God who doesn't really care about you and dismisses you and isn't really for you and isn't willing to engage and help you out? What, like, what's that like for you? Yeah. And I just let him be there and work that out, you know? Yeah, no, I I think that's wonderful advice. And, you know, part of the reason I asked that question is because selfishly, it's something that I've been wrestling with a lot lately. So, you know, I'm very public about my faith. Everybody knows I was a pastor of a church for many years. So they know what they get, you know, when they come to work with me, whether it's an organization or an individual. Um, but when I'm starting to realize, and and I, I I value, agree with, and appreciate what you spoke about as it relates to the common grace in the sense that God's created them regardless of whether they acknowledge it or not. Therefore, God's plan is going to work out in their life regardless of whether they acknowledge it or not. But I'm really struggling to believe that without their own acknowledgement and an investment into 
not just who God has created them to be, but who God is to them and who God is to this world, I just don't see them ever truly being able to live as the man that God has created them to be. If you can't acknowledge the God that created yes. you, like how are you going to go on and live that life? And that actually breaks my heart even to say this out loud because there's going to be people that are listening right now that are going to be hurt or offended by what I say that are that you know I, I want to give everybody an opportunity to grow the best that they can, to flourish as much as they can as a husband, as a father, as a contributor in this world. But I just don't I no, I don't I, it's not even I don't think. It is not possible to live the life that God has created for you if you don't acknowledge God is God. And, uh, you know, the God of the Bible, Christ is Lord. Like, I just don't see that happening. And so they're always going to be leaving something on the table without that acknowledgement. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, there's, I, I'm trying to desperately remember who said this. I think it might've been Parker Palmer, uh, who's a Western Quaker elder. I'm like a Western Quaker fanboy. So okay. like, it's likely it's him. <laughs> But um, I think it was Parker Palmer that said at one point, he feels like it's part of his calling to help people who are plagued by doubt to find faith and to help those who are so certain in their faith to find doubt. Mm. You know, uh, Tillich, Paul Tillich, who's just a whole other level of intelligence. He was a Harvard professor and you know, he died in 1965. But Tillich said, you know, the opposite of, faith is not doubt it's certainty mm. and he had this concept where he talked about you know you must not believe in god you must believe in the god above god mm. <laughs> this is getting way too philosophical i apologize but his, his idea there is yeah his idea there is we all have these constructs of who god is Mm. And and we put our belief in who God is and we start practicing our faith and our understanding of who God is. And at some level, that's all we have. Right. That's 12 step. It's like God as I understand God. Right. I yeah. get that. But how many people are going to appear before him and hear him say, depart from me? I never knew you. Yeah, that's right. And people are going to go, what are you talking about? Like, I live my whole life in your name. And and the idea is kind of like. You weren't following me. You were following some culturally constructed idea of me. You were following your own personally curated way of following me or some doctrinized way of following, like, but it wasn't me. And so there's this idea that like the way to life, the way to true abundant life as a man is being connected to who Tillich would say is the God who appears when God has disappeared in the midst of your anxiety and doubt and uncertainty. And it's like there, there's trauma, there's pain in life, there's doubt, there's uncertainty, and it causes the God beneath God to dissolve. To We become resentful against that God that we say, well, you're supposed to be this, and you're supposed to be that. You're supposed to do this for me, and you didn't keep your promise. And it's like, that wasn't even God. But when that God unravels in the midst of these very real, painful, traumatic life experiences, the God who appears, that's the one that I cling to. And um, so we try to create the space in the work that I do. And I, I hope that anyone who's listening and, and you're a coach or you lead a small group or you run a company or people report to you or, or you're a father or a husband, or whatever it is, I hope that you will learn 
to hold space for people um, to have a stable place to stand as the God of their understanding or the God beneath God just unravels or slips through their fingers. And you can kind of hold them up while the God above God appears. And that's the one that we come to poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The ones who are spiritually impoverished, who, who have come to a place where they go, I can't achieve it. I can't learn it. There's no enlightenment that can be mine. I come as a beggar with my hands out going, if you do not do for me what I cannot do for myself, I am screwed. And you you have to, I have, all I can do is receive. I cannot accept myself. I can only accept my acceptance. I cannot forgive myself. I can only accept my forgiveness. Like we are impoverished. Anyway, dude, I mean, like, rant. no, 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 no. What that did, I think so beautifully is that is the exact antithesis to the man that you were trying to be before your daughter called you to the carpet. Yes. And I think that is the this same, kind of man. Yeah. It's the same man that the majority of us have strived to be for all of our lives. Most of the men that I surround myself yeah. with, that I coach, they're successful. Their head is down. They're hustling hard. They'll blow through any wall. If an obstacle comes in their way, they're going to figure out how to grind through it themselves. They will mow everybody down in the process. They're going to make sure that they show up and they grind it out and they're going to coach everything. They're going to do everything. And inside, as I once was, they are a hollow shell of a human being. It's because they have tried to do everything yes. for themselves that really can only be done once they surrender all of themselves to God That's right. and let God begin to work. So I I, I yeah, love that. The, res that. the result was, is meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaning. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think it's just, it, it's such a wonderful place to land. And as we do, I, I have a final question for you because I think that there's, I know that there are a lot of men out there that haven't had the daughter moment uh, or haven't had the uh, get shot at and uh, watch a friend die moment like I had. Uh, so they haven't had that or they haven't had absolute financial ruin. There just hasn't been that moment of like, wake up. How do you right now speak something to them to help illuminate their need to make a change before devastation hits for them. Yeah, I've, I've learned I can't other than to plead. You know, it's like you can do prehab or you can do rehab and prehab is better than rehab. Mm. Uh, don't wait until it's too late. I got so many men who sit in groups with me and they did it like they built the company. They want for nothing other than the fact they have no relationship with their kids now that they're grown and out of the house. Other than the fact that they lost their marriage somewhere along the way, even if divorce didn't happen, they're living as roommates, living parallel lives with no intimacy or connection. Right. And, and you can wait and, and try to make up ground that you lost or but don't miss the time that you'll never get back. And um, here's what I would say. Here's how you know you're in trouble. OK, here's the litmus test. I, I challenge everybody listening to go and do this litmus test. Make 20 minutes of space and go sit on your porch without a phone, without anything in silence for 20 minutes. Just sit there in silence for 20 minutes. And if you can do that and it's comfortable and wonderful and, you know, uh, you don't feel like 
you've got this compulsive need to get up and do something because you're wasting time or you don't feel like your mind is splitting off and racing in a million different directions um, or you don't have feelings that start to rise as you spin on what was said or done back there by her or your boss or your coworker or the employee. Like if you can just sit there for 20 minutes in peace and feel refreshed at the end of it, you're good. Just keep going. If you can't take that as a major red flag, like the silence and the stillness doesn't create anxiety, doesn't create compulsion, doesn't create discomfort, doesn't create, it just reveals it. So if I'm anxious or compulsively driven in the silence, I was already anxious or compulsively driven, but sitting in the silence just brought it to the surface. And it's like, oh, there's what's actually true inside of me. Okay. Um, so that's what I would say is do that litmus test. And if you can't sit in the silence and be okay, um, get some help. Call Ryan Miller and get coaching immediately. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to say I'm calling Jake Smith. Okay. So for time's sake, I, I, we're done, but I'm going to ask something of you. I've actually never asked this of anybody else uh, before, but <clears throat> I want to have you back on as soon as you're done defending your doctoral thesis. Um, I it, We talked about the fact that, so we're recording the end of July. This podcast is going to come out second week of September. Uh, you will uh, just about have defended, right? It's going to be right around that time. Yeah, I think think uh, about the middle of November before Thanksgiving is when I okay. defend. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so I'll stay in touch with you. I want to have you come back on and I want to talk all about not the process, even though that will be great. But now I want to talk to the doctor that has had the opportunity to defend all the things that he has been fighting for this whole time and to see what you learned and yeah. how it's come out the other side. So are you willing to do that? I am. Awesome, well, let's man. commit to it. <laughs> All right. That means it's got to happen. You're, you're going to get it. You're going to have those letters. It's going to be dope. Um, all right, Matt, thank you so much. I mean, we could have gone for hours for sure, because I think there were so many things that were just racing through my head as we were talking, but I just love the picture that you painted. I, and I love like that last little moment of going and sitting in silence and allowing that to reveal, I think it's just such a beautiful, practical opportunity for us all to ultimately be honest with ourselves and then go get our shit together. Um, so yeah. Thank you. I just, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you've shared. I've learned. I've been encouraged a lot by what you've shared. I'm looking forward to staying connected. So Jake, thank you so much. Me too, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Can't wait to do it again. Awesome. Guys, as always, I mean, make sure you go follow Jake, you connect with him. We'll share all this contact information in the show notes. You don't want to miss all of the things that he's doing. He's got uh, incredible resources available on his website. You can follow him on social media. We'll share all that there as well, but reach out to and connect with him. Got any questions, comments, concerns, you know where to find me. In the meantime, go be the men that God has created you to be. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Authentic Conversations. If you are ready to live the life you've dreamed of, I'm here to help. Head to ryanjamesmiller.com slash podcast to begin your journey. And if this episode impacted you in any way, pay it forward by sharing it with someone you know. I'm Ryan James Miller, and I'll see you next time on Authentic Conversations.